0: Welcome to the European Parliamentary Research Service
1: Podcasts. In this podcast, we'll talk about the rise of global human rights sanctions and compare how the US, Canada, the UK and the EU deal with human rights violations and abuses worldwide. Stay with us.
0: Little could Russian whistleblower Sergei Magnitsky imagine that his death while in detention in a Russian prison would trigger such international outrage and inspire a whole new approach to counter human rights abuses around the world, from geographical to thematic sanctions.
1: Adopted by the US in 2016, the Global Magnitsky Act was the first of a new generation of human rights sanctions programs which, in contrast to traditional sanctions targeted at individual countries, can be flexibly applied to perpetrators from all over the world regardless of where they come from.
0: Thematic sanctions have several advantages over geographical ones. They are more flexible and easy to adopt. And as the US experience shows, they put less of a strain on bilateral relations with countries that are also important economic partners, such as China.
1: They also allow to fight transnational crime more effectively, as in the case of terrorism, drug trafficking or cybercrime.
0: And, because they don't target a specific country, but individuals from different countries involved in the same crime, they can circumvent vetoes from UN Security Council members such as Russia and China, who traditionally block any proposal to sanction human rights violations.
1: Allowing Western countries and other democratic powers to press ahead when UN measures are not possible.
0: So, following the example of the U.S., many other countries have adopted similar laws, in some cases also named after Sergei Magnitsky. Now let's compare four such programs. The U.S. Global Magnitsky Act, Canada's Sergei Magnitsky Law, the U.K.'s Global Human Rights and Anti-Corruption Regulations, and the EU's Restrictive Measures Against Serious Human Rights Violations and Abuses, the most recent of the four to be adopted.
1: Following the adoption of the 2016 Global Magnitsky Act, in 2017, U.S. President Donald Trump issued an order which implements global human rights and corruption sanctions at the same time as applying them to a broader range of offences.
0: Canada's legislation followed in 2017, closely modelled on the one of the U.S., and the U.K. adopted its global human rights sanctions regulations in June 2020.
1: So, the last one to move towards a horizontal sanctions regime was the EU in December 2020. Now, all of these are inspired by the same ambition to tackle serious human rights crimes from around the world. But there are also significant differences. For example, in terms of the threshold for human rights offences, the inclusion or not of corruption-related offences, and the role played by parliaments and civil society.
0: In terms of their scope, they all use similar wording to be able to sanction gross violations of human rights, such as torture, extrajudicial killings, or slavery. But the EU divides human rights abuses in two categories. Let's listen to Martin Russell from the European Parliamentary Research Service.
2: There are those abuses which are serious enough to warrant sanctions, even if not repeated, such as torture, And then there are those which are only sanctioned if they become systematic, such as restrictions on civil liberties. Now, while the scope of the first category is similar to that of US, Canadian and British sanctions, the second category includes a much broader range of offences that are not explicitly mentioned by the other three Magnitsky Laws.
1: However, unlike the other three schemes, the EU's global human rights sanctions regime does not include corruption, an offence punishable by restrictive measures, although arguably cases like that of Sergei Magnitsky could be tackled under other headings, such as torture.
0: Something the European Parliament has urged to change. Here's Catalin Che, the European Parliament's rapporteur on this file. The European Parliament made it clear multiple times Corruption needs to be included as a punishable offence in our sanctions framework. All major democracies sanction corruption, the US, Canada, recently the UK, and we are the only one missing. And this is not just a minor policy detail. The EU is risking to become a safe haven for dirty money. And we need to change that.
1: The US, Canada, UK and EU laws also differ in their definitions of victims and perpetrators. Here's Martin Russell from the EPRS. The original
2: US Magnitsky Law was inspired by Sergei Magnitsky and designed to penalise corrupt officials involved in his and similar cases. It therefore targets government officials, while victims are defined as whistleblowers or human rights defenders. Canadian legislation follows a similar approach. However, as there are many human rights abuses that do not fit these definitions, EU and UK sanctions are less restrictive allowing them to be applied to a wider variety of cases.
0: All four sanctions regimes condemn those responsible or complicit in human rights violations, but the US Executive Order lowers the degree of punishable involvement to include also leaders and officials of organisations involved in abuses, even if they're not directly responsible for them. And UK sanctions are similarly inclusive.
1: But when it comes to standards for evidence and transparency, Magnitsky laws are rather vague. And although the US, the UK and the EU are legally obliged to state their reasons, such statements remain rather general.
0: There are also differences as concerns the role of national parliaments in deciding and monitoring sanctions. In the US, for example, they can be initiated by both presidents and Congress, especially if the White House hesitates to act.
1: In the UK and Canada, even members of parliament can propose global sanctions, although this is more in theory than in practice. As for the EU, sanctions can only be initiated by member states or the high representative for foreign and security policy.
0: But parliaments have been a strong force behind Magnitsky's sanctions.
1: Yes, they have, especially the European Parliament, who had been repeatedly demanding Magnitsky sanctions, and the Dutch National Parliament, which in 2018 forced the Dutch government to raise the issue in the council, setting in motion an unstoppable process.
0: The European Parliament was on the forefront of the fight for an EU-level Magnitsky sanctions law. We are the directly elected voice of EU citizens, and we are standing up for values and principles in our EU foreign policy. We want to see the same value-based approach from the European Council too. Now how have these global sanctions schemes worked in practice? Stay with us.
1: Well, the US global Magnitsky is by far the most active of the four programmes, targeting over 300 individuals and entities from 40 countries, including some European ones over corruption charges.
0: The UK's global human rights and corruption sanctions are similarly ambitious, with over 100 names from 18 different countries, including some that are not targeted by Western geographical sanctions, such as South Africa, Guatemala and Pakistan. And despite its initial impetus, Canada's list is now somewhat dormant, with targets from just five countries and no names added since 2018.
1: So what about the EU?
0: Well, considering it only came into force in December 2020, it may be just a bit too early to draw conclusions. But if there is one thing that can be said is that they've been used quite sparingly. Here's Martin Russell from the EPRS.
2: The first sanctions under the EU's new Global Human Rights Sanctions Programme came in March 2021 against four Russian officials involved in Alexei Navalny's arrest. 3 weeks later, Eleven more individuals and four entities from Russia, China, Libya, North Korea, South Sudan and Eritrea were added for crimes such as arbitrary mass detentions, torture and extrajudicial killings. Since then, no new names have been added to the list.
1: The EU, the US, the UK and Canada have all adopted sanctions against Belarus, China, Myanmar and Russia, albeit not all of them are global sanctions.
0: In Russia, sanctions intensified after the arrest of opposition activist Alexei Navalny in January 2020. And in China, the focus is on the mass internment
1: of Muslim Uyghurs. But while in the US, Canada and the UK, Saudi officials were designated for their role in killing journalist Jamal Khashoggi in 2018. The EU was reluctant to apply sanctions, despite pressure from the European Parliament. Here's Jordi Soleil, shadow rapporteur from the European Parliament, on this file.
2: It is deplorable that in the case of the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, several of our member states seem to have put short-term financial and economic interests before principles and human rights. Also, Council has yet to act on Parliament's call for sanctions against a number of other repressive leaders in a number of countries, including the Emirates and Egypt, This must change, otherwise we risk being accused of double standards.
0: But global sanctions are not the only instrument to tackle human rights violations across the globe. There are also economic sanctions, like the EU restrictions on Belarusian exports, travel bans, arms embargoes and human rights conditionality clauses on trade and on development aid.
1: It's all part of the toolset the EU and other jurisdictions have to condemn abuses and force countries to enforce basic human rights around the world.
0: And while traditional geographic sanctions still prevail in the US, Canada, the EU and the UK, restrictive measures applied under global programmes show the potential that such sanctions can play in furthering Western cooperation on human rights.
1: Want to know more? Check out Martin Russell's briefing on the EPRS website.
0: This is a European Parliamentary Research Service podcast.
1: Thanks for listening.